following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Uh, verses 46 through 49, where Jesus really gives the application, gets the end of his sermon. Like all good preachers, he tells you what to do with it. And so we're going to look at that uh, this morning. Um, and as you look at this, it's clear that Jesus wants his disciples not just to, to be smarter, but he wants them to, to, to experience a transformed life. He wants some things to, to change about the way they live. And not just a little change, but a dramatic, huge, transformational change. Um, and that's really what every preacher hopes for. You know, we're, we're hoping, I'm hoping that as you, I preach, you know, it, it changes your life somehow. I hope God's Word changes my life somehow. Um, of course, I think Jesus probably was much more effective at it than I am. <laughs> I don't doubt that. And ultimately, it is Jesus who transforms us. And that's what he wants at the end of this message. He wants his words to make a life-changing difference. Uh, and, and the end result that he comes up with, that he really, the last word that he gives us here is that uh, our life will be ultimately an extraordinary life because we will be, if we apply these principles, we will have a life that's in many ways indestructible. How many of you would like to be indestructible? Okay. How many of you like superheroes? Okay, be honest. Right? You know, what, what, what are superheroes about? Well, superheroes are about a lot of things. But ultimately, it's a way for us to think about how we can overcome life's problems. And all superheroes have some level of indestructibility, right? They can, you know, bullets bounce off of them. For that matter, freight trains bounce off of them. And there's something about us that we go, yeah, I want to be able to be like that. I want all of life's problems to just bounce off of me. And uh, Jesus really, at the end of his sermon, promises a life like that. Now, of course, he doesn't mean that we will never be sick or have disease or that we won't have to deal with aging or death. Those things will still be a fact of life. But unlike Superman and superheroes, even those things won't affect us. So uh, for us, bullets don't bounce off. <laughs> they pierce. Diseases invade. Um, we deal with problems. But his point is that even those problems are not enough to, to hamper or limit or curb what God wants to do in our life. Even death, we can face with the confidence that we are indestructible even in the face of death. So in many ways, what Jesus promises here is a life greater than a superhero. Because every superhero has his kryptonite, has his weak spot. But Jesus says, if you implement these things in your life, you will be indestructible. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple ways to deal with life. And one is to see yourself as kind of a delicate flower. You ever been out of the night bazaar and they have these little, the little blown glass, I don't know if they're blown glass, but little glass sculptures of a flower, right? You never buy these things. You know why? Because it'll never make it home, right? It's just like, it's just doomed to be broken. Um, some people kind of see life that way that their life is this fragile, delicate flower, and the goal of life is to protect and avoid danger at all possible cost and risk. Um, a lot of people live life that way. 
the other way to live life is to live life as a huge, ginormous, 900-ton boulder, right, that just crushes everything in its path, that the winds and the storms and the waves break against, and it doesn't phase us. Danger can't hurt us. Which of those do you want to be? Right, we want to be the second one. We want to be the kind of people where we fear nothing because we know that nothing can phase us. Well, that's what Jesus wants to leave us with, and I hope to leave you with some encouragement as we look at summing up this, uh, this Sermon on the Mount. So let's read uh, from verses 46 to 49. Jesus says this, So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it is like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Uh, Jesus starts off with some really sobering words in this passage, and he says, uh, you know, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, if you do not do what I say? Um, serious words. And he's speaking here, and the whole sermon, in fact, has been spoken to disciples. Jesus is not proclaiming these truths to unbelievers. He's talking about all of the sermon, clearly, to his disciples, to those whom he has called and chosen to follow him. And he gets to the end of it and he says these startling words. He says, look, you can be claim to be a follower of Christ. You can be one who says to me, Lord, Master, you're, you're my teacher, you're my leader. And yet not do anything that Jesus says. Uh, and Jesus is kind of horrified and shocked that this is possible. But it's true and Jesus is aware of it. And he realizes the danger and risk that his disciples We'll come away from this sermon going, wow, Jesus, you are such an amazing teacher. I learned so much, right? And go out and actually not do any of it. Jesus says, how can you call me Lord? How can you call me Master? And not do what I say. He says, basically, it's impossible. right? If you're going to really call me Lord, if you're really going to call me Master and Teacher, if you're going to claim to be be a follower of me, then you must do everything I've said. Right? It must become a part of your daily life and practice. Um, and it's important to get what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying, remember, he's talking to disciples. He's not saying here that if you keep my commands, then you can be saved. Right? He's not teaching here work salvation. Martin Luther would be rolling over in his grave, right? We're saved by faith in Christ alone. Right? Jesus is not teaching something different. But he's saying this. He's saying once you have come to Christ, once you have had a regenerating work of the cross in your life, it must produce in us a life of obedience, a life that's committed to doing the things that Jesus has said. Um, and it's really quite simple. You know, I could make this a really super short sermon, and maybe I should, and just say, look, here's the deal. Jesus says, just do it. Go do it. 
right? Just do it, right? Amen. Close in prayer. Tempt Anna, you all love that. But I got some cool illustrations I want to share. So, um, you know, just do it. You can go to the next, click on the, just do it. Just do it, right? comes from Nike. Actually, it comes from Jesus first. I just want to make that clear. Jesus really said it first. Nike stole it from God, right? I don't know if you know this logo or know the slogan, but from about 1988 to 1998, Nike uh, ran this huge ad campaign called Just Do It. And uh, to summarize, it says the campaign perfectly embodied Nike's image as being an innovative American icon associated with success through the combination of professional athletes and motivational slogans emphasizing sportsmanship and health. Now, here's the, here's the punchline. This led to customers associating their purchase with the prospect of achieving greatness. Right? In other words, Nike said, just do it. Just go out and buy a pair of shoes and win the Olympics. Piece of cake, right? You want to get in shape? Go buy the shoes. Just do it. You want to run a 5K race? Go buy the shoes. Just do it. You want to run you know, a world record pace marathon? Just buy the shoes and do it, right? Piece of cake. Got the shoes, you can do anything. Well, uh, it may not actually work that way in real life. I tried. <laughs> Never ran in the Olympics. Lot, bought lots of shoes. <laughs> okay, Worn out lots of Nike tennis shoes. Um, Jesus' goal and purpose is a little different. Jesus is not trying to sell something here. But the slogan fits. Jesus says, you want to call me, you want to be a disciple, you want to call me Lord, you call yourself a Christian, great. Do what I say. Right? Pretty short sermon. And he ends with it there, but he, he, he gives a couple of illustrations of what this looks like. Uh, and in verse 47, he says this, I will show you what it's like uh, when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. Okay, he, he uses this formula, coming, and literally in the, in the, in the Greek, it's, it's continuous. It's coming, hearing, doing. Right? And it's kind of a package deal. And Jesus says that all three things must be true to be a true follower and disciple. And we kind of get to this. The first one, the coming, it's the idea of coming to Christ, uh, recognizing our need for Him, uh, recognizing our need for a Savior. We come to Him. And in faith, we, we approach Him. We come to Jesus as our Savior. Second one, we, he, we are hearing. Specifically, we're hearing His Word. Uh, a lot of discipleship gets gets slotted in the second the second notch the second peg right and we kind of picture you know a person comes to Jesus they get saved and then we disciple them which means what well we instruct them in everything that Jesus taught and that's true that is part of discipleship we need to uh, instruct teach we need to make people aware of what Jesus is asking and what he, and who he is and, and how this all works. And that is a large focus oftentimes of what our discipleship is. We, we train them. We instruct them. We make sure they have good theology, right? Go Luther, right? Go Reformation. Good to get all those solas right, right? Sola, you guys know them all, right? In Latin, hopefully. Uh, we've got to line those things up. We've got to get the right doctrine and teaching. And that's important. Jesus says, you come, you hear. Knowing the right things is important. The mistake that we often make is we think once they've got the five solas down and the five tulips and the five this and the ten points of that and we've got all our theology that we've made a disciple. 
We've made a follower of Christ. And when they can give the right answers and check off that they've memorized the right, you know, Romans Road and all the other important Bible verses, you know, we've, we've, we've accomplished our task. And we've said, you are now a disciple. You are a follower of Christ because you know the answers. You know the right things. Meaning, you agree with my theology, right? That's what we mean by that. But Jesus doesn't actually stop there. He says, coming, hearing, and doing. Right? Doing. We have never made a disciple unless we have produced and helped raise up a person who's following Christ to the extent that they are practicing all that Jesus taught. That they are putting into their life all that they have learned. That they are turning right doctrine into daily practice. That they are turning truth about Jesus into a lifestyle of obedience. Got to work on that one, I think, right? We make disciples as we see people living out Jesus' instructions. And it's true in our own life as well. We have never become a true follower of Christ until we are practicing and living out these instructions of Jesus. Well, what exactly is Jesus asking us to do? What are His commands? Well, in in the Sermon on the Mount, there are actually 18 commands, believe it or not. Who would have guessed that high? 18 commands, 18 imperative verbs where Jesus is commanding us to do certain things. And uh, I'm going to show you those. Uh, I'm going to actually read the verses, and if you could bring up the next point on the slide, uh, it'll, it'll list them out. Um, but I'll read the verses, but I just put up the words to give you a picture of it, okay? Verse 23, Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted uh, the prophets. So he says, in the face of suffering, persecution, rejoice. Uh, Verse 27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Verse 28, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. These are all commands. Verse 29, when somebody strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Verse 30, give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Verse 31, as you wish that others would do to you, do to them. Verse 35, love your enemies... Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Verse 36, be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Verse 37, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Verse 38, give, and it will be given to you. Last one, verse 42, Uh, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? You hypocrite. First, here's the command, take out the log in your own eye. Okay, First, deal with your own issues. I skipped that one, but it's in there. Um, When you you summarize what Jesus is saying here, and you kind of, if we could boil it down into some categories, uh, what is he asking? Well, he's asking us uh, to embrace Christ, so the sermon started out, you remember, to embrace Christ, to embrace the gospel, knowing that it would bring persecution, knowing that it would bring hardship, knowing that it could, it could lead you to poverty, 
Anybody been there, done that? Following Jesus has not made you wealthier financially, it's made you poorer. Maybe many of you, right? You may be given up jobs, you've lost jobs, you've come here because of the glorious salary you can make being, you know, a full-time Christian worker, right? Um, so he's saying embracing Christ, even though it means your life may get harder. Uh, a lot of the commands have to do with loving people, right? And not just loving people we like, but loving our enemies, loving people who hate us, loving those people who are persecuting us, doing good things for them and showing kindness to them. Okay, that's the commands he's talking about. Uh, and not only to love them, but love them um, in a way that's absolutely condition, unconditional, right? Expecting nothing back. So giving, loving, pouring our heart out for people, never expecting anything in return. So if people throw it back in our face, if we love them and they hate us, we just keep loving. We just keep giving because we're not expecting anything in return. We are to be merciful and compassionate as God the Father was merciful and compassionate to us. Um, he says, by this you are proving you're his children. Right? We, we are to love as God loves because he's our Father. And we, as his children, are supposed to be marked with the same DNA, the same character qualities. So as we love unconditionally as God does, we're showing that we have been changed, we have been transformed to be his children. We're different people than we were before. Now we live as his sons and his daughters. Um, we deal with the real life issues. We deal with our problems. We are honest about the log in our eye, right? Uh, we can be, we can own that. But not only do we own it, not only are we honest about it, but we seek God's healing. We seek God to deal with the issues in our life. So if we're depressed, if we're worried, if we're uh, you know, greedy, if we are, whatever the log is in your eye, right? Whatever covetous or lust or envy or unspiritual thing, God deals with those things in our life. And we, we deal with those issues through Christ. And through that, we become agents of healing, helping other people. As we've experienced God's restoration, God taking that tree stump out of our eye, we now have compassion to help our brother with the speck in their eye. We have an understanding of grace and God's healing that we minister to others. And finally, we are people who bear fruit. And not just that which is outward, but fruit that comes from deep within us through a heart that's been changed. Okay, so that's the picture, kind of in a nutshell, of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, uh, you should be doing those things. Uh, there's, there's a lot of teaching about the Sermon on the Mount that says, you know, it all sounds great. You know, it would be great. It would be really nice if Christians actually lived this way. And just imagine how different the world would be if Christians actually lived this way. But the reality is it's impossible. It can't be done. And so the sermon actually was intended for another age. Have you ever, have you ever heard that teaching? It's, it's quite common, actually. And a lot of commentaries you read will say that. They'll say that Jesus didn't actually mean for it to be done now because it's too hard. Right, uh, and and he's thinking more about the millennial time because in the millennial time, I don't know, God zaps us and people can do this, but in our day and age, it's impossible. Well, I would agree with that actually that it is impossible, but not that Jesus didn't intend for us to do it. Right? 
I believe Jesus spoke these words. And in fact, in this context, especially in Luke, where Jesus says to his to the audience standing right in front of him, look, you people, you want to call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say. You're not my disciple. I think it's pretty clear that Jesus meant this to be practiced now. right? That he's not looking at some future millennial age. He's talking about people who are following him here and now. And he says, I expect you to do this. Well, um, if, if we hear these words, there's probably three ways we could respond. Maybe more, but at least three ways we could respond to this. Uh, the first one is to look at this, this passage and the whole sermon and, and, and really come to a point of realization, wow, I don't do this. Right? To respond really with confession. And to go, wow, you know, uh, this is hard. And, you know, I love sometimes, but I don't love unconditionally. Um, I'm not always judgmental, but I'm often judgmental, right? I'm often very critical and condemning of others. If I'm honest, I could, I could look at my life and say, I don't do any of this, right? I'm a person who's come uh, and who's heard, but I'm not doing it, right? That could be true of us. Uh, second response would be to say, oh, I got this. I got this. No sweat. I can just do it, right? Just like, just like Nike, I'm going to go buy the tennis shoes. I can do this. I can win the Olympics. I can be the perfect Christian. I can love. It's easy, right? Uh, now, if you think that, which I'm pretty sure probably most of us don't, but if you do think that, it's proof that you're delusional, Okay? that you actually believe the Nike commercial, right? And that you buy lots of tennis shoes and you're pretty sure you're going to win the Olympics, right? Um, If we think we could do this, it's proof that we really don't understand what Jesus is saying here. If we think it's within our grasp and power to do this on our own, that I can just go out and do this, it's proof you don't get it. And, and uh, it should, and, and as I studied this, honestly, it was kind of a little bit depressing because <laughs> I'm reading through this going, ah, God, I don't do this. How can I talk about this? I, I, don't, I don't do this all that well. You know, I can't say I love people unconditionally just oozing out of me everywhere. Right? I would say this is hard. And while I want to be obedient and I, and I believe I'm supposed to be doing this, honestly... Wow, this is, this is impossible. And I speak from experiences. I've tried it a lot and failed a lot, right? I have tried to rejoice in hardship and trials. And it's so easy to do when things are going well. Hallelujah. Bring on those hardships. Man, when that, when that suffering comes, I'm going to rejoice because I can do this, right? The first little trial comes, I stub my toe, you know, I... I have tiny little trials. And, ooh, am I rejoicing? No, I'm complaining a lot. Ask my wife when she gets back. She's at a conference this week, and she'll tell you. I grumble and complain. I don't rejoice. Um, you know, I try to love my enemies, and I mean to love my enemies, but they start saying nasty things to me, and it stirs up all kinds of hate and resentment, and I want to get even, right? I want to get even with them. I don't want to love them. I want to hurt them. Right? Okay, that's me. That's my nature, my human nature flaring up. 
I want to do good to those who are poor. I want to be generous to those who cannot pay back. But if I'm honest, I'm not all that generous. Okay, Maybe I do it some. But am I really as generous as Jesus was? Right? Am I giving myself into great poverty? No. Right? I'm, I'm afraid to go there. Um, I try not to be judgmental and critical of others. I know I'm not supposed to be judgmental and critical of others, but how often do I find myself gossiping about people, about how stupid they are, about how stupid what they do is, right? How if I was in charge, if I was in control of that, how much better it would be, right? If only I were the one, because they're such a mess up, right? I could do it better, right? Right. It's not easy to do this, right? It's not just a matter of just do it, right? Jesus makes it sound simple. He says, you know, call me Lord, go do it. You go do it, you know it's hard. And so we, more likely, most of us come up with the third response where we say, Jesus, I want to do this, but the truth is, it's impossible, and I can't. I find myself failing. I find myself struggling to do these things. Um... Well, if we get it, if we, if we understand what Jesus is saying here, we will have to admit it's not a matter of just doing it. Um, Nike may inspire people to greatness by buying new shoes. Jesus is not trying to inspire us to greatness by, by challenging us to gear up and just, you know, out of our own will and determination, muscle our way through to godliness. Okay, Jesus is not saying that here. Um, he is asking us to do the impossible. But he's asking us to do it in a certain way. right? He's asking us, and he's teaching us actually, how to do the impossible. And he, does, he teaches us by giving us two great, uh, well really one, one illustration, two pictures of how this works. So let's look uh, at, at the picture that he gives. In verse 47, he says, I'll read again. He says, I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me, is listening, and is doing. Okay, this is the person. Uh, it is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. Um, I don't know if we had, do we have fourth and fifth graders here this morning? It's kind of a small crowd. Any fourth and fifth graders? I have a story. I have an illustration if you guys want to come up real quick. Fourth and fifth graders up front, front and center. We have at least a couple. Okay, good. I need your help. Okay, in this in this story Jesus is telling here, he's talking about digging down and, and laying a foundation and digging down, down deep into the earth until you, you, you get to a deep hole and you, you lay a foundation which is pouring concrete on it. But in Thailand, I've noticed they mostly don't do that. Instead, they, they, uh, they do something different. And have you guys ever seen the big, huge hammer that hammers the long concrete poles into the ground? Have you seen that? Do you know what it's called? Do you know what it's called? A hammer. It is one huge hammer. That's actually called a pile driver, right? And you guys have seen it. They take the big concrete post, 
there's this big thing that just goes up and down and just goes wham, wham, right? It just drives that concrete pillar deep into the ground. Why do they do that? Do you have any ideas? Do you know why? Okay, it's a foundation, right? So how far do they have to, how do they know how far to, to, to drive down that big concrete post? What's that? Okay, they measure it, but what are they measuring down to? What are they what are they trying to get down to? Water? Gold? What do you think they're trying to get to? What? Well they go through the ground, right? They go through the dirt, through the ground to what? Rock. That's right. And they measure, they do measure, and they measure how far it is from the surface of the ground all the way down to where they hit rock. And if you watch them do it, they'll drive the post down and they'll go down a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. If it gets down to where it hits rock, it doesn't go anymore. And it makes a different sound. And you can feel the ground shake underneath you when it hits the rock. It hits that rock and you can just feel the whole ground shake because it can't go through the rock. Why do they want it to be on rock? That's right. That's right. Because if it's on a rock, it can't sink anymore. It can't go any farther. And you can build the building on a solid foundation. You guys are all very smart. A little different picture than what Jesus gives. But Jesus says here, we need to either drive, if we're in Thailand, he would use the illustration, we need to drive the piles down till you hit solid rock. In Israel, they didn't have pile drivers. So they had to actually dig up the ground and dig down to to the rock and laid the foundation on the rock. Um, how do we get a well-built house? Well, you've got to have a good foundation. How do, we, how do we do this living a life of obedience to Christ? Well, Jesus gives two pictures here. One is the house that's built where they dug down and they, they built it on the rock. The other one pictures a house where they decided not to waste all that time and money with the foundation and they just built it on top of the dirt, right, on top of the ground. Didn't dig, didn't lay a foundation. Oftentimes I think people have a wrong understanding of what Jesus is teaching here. And this is, this is how often I've heard this taught and thought of it in my own life. Um, we know, as Martin Luther pointed out several hundred years ago, we are saved by Christ alone. Sola Christus. We are saved by Christ alone. And we get the idea that you know, we're saved through Christ and He comes into our life and he, he takes away our sin and He now makes it possible for us to be a good person. And that once we go through the door of salvation, we now are kind of restored to be what we could never be before and we, we now live a life as a good person. Right? Um, and so... We can read these things, and Jesus says, go love your enemies. And so, you know, Jesus saved me, so now I can do that, right? But we do it very much in our own strength and in our own power and by our own will. Does it work? I think we can all prove, attest to the fact it doesn't, right? And that's because we misunderstand what Jesus is really teaching here. We think Jesus is saying this, I'm the foundation, and if you do these things you will be building your life on the foundation, on Christ. But that's not actually what he says. What he's saying here is this. He's saying, I am the foundation. The way you do these things is by building your life on the foundation, on Christ. You see the difference? One is saying, Jesus fixed me, and so I'm going to go off on my own without the foundation, 
And I'm going to do good things, and by doing those good things, hopefully my house will sink roots down, and, and I'll build my life on Christ. That's not what he says. He says this person is a person who digs down, and they establish their life on Christ. In other words, the only way you can ever do any of this stuff is if you are standing firmly planted on the person and work of Christ. Um, I've taught this a lot lately, and maybe you're tired of me hearing it, but I was reminded how we need to be reminded of this recently. I've taught this often to some of our tribal guys, and I'm always harping on the gospel. You know, it's all about Jesus, it's all about the gospel. And at the end of a three-year training process, right, one of the comments I got back from the guys was this. Why are you always talking about the gospel? The gospel is for lost people. I wanted to just scream and cry all at the same time, right? Because I failed, right? The gospel is not just for lost people. That's building your house without a foundation, right? That's the person who's built their house on the dirt. They think that they're saved and they no longer need Jesus to do this. Jesus is saying, no, the gospel is the foundation of every day of your life. The only way you can ever do this successfully is if you are daily standing on the finished work of Christ in the cross and the power of the resurrection. We can't do this apart from the cross, apart from the work of Christ transforming our life and making us new. He gives a couple of clues of that in the, in the passage Paul talks about it much more in in, in the epistles. We won't go into it in detail. But he says, when you love, when you show compassion as my Father shows compassion, it proves what? That you're my children. That you have been born new, have been made new, and your life has been planted on the foundation of Christ. And it's out of that that you are now able to love with an incredible God-ordained love that is impossible to you otherwise. That's what it means to build your life on that foundation. It means that I stand before God and I say, God, I can't do this. It is too hard. And I've tried and I've done nothing but fail. But I understand that Jesus is the foundation of my life. I want to anchor everything in my life on the person and work and ministry of Christ. Um, suppose, which I don't think it's true, but suppose the magic Nike shoes actually worked. Suppose you could go out and just buy a pair of tennis shoes and it would make you an Olympic athlete. Okay? Sales would go up, <laughs> for sure. Um, but, but for it to work, it takes more than just buying the shoe. You just don't go into the store, buy the shoe, the special magic, take it home, put it on your shelf, and then instantly become an Olympic athlete. Even Nike would say, no, you actually have to wear the shoes. Like every day. And you actually have to go out and run and train, right? Even Nike would say that. Well, Jesus is saying the same thing. The gospel isn't something you just bring home, put on the shelf as a treasure, as a, a memorial stone you look back to. No, you've got to put it on every day and train and practice and work at it, right? And Jesus is saying here, he's not saying that this happens on autopilot. He's saying we have to be intentional about loving, about serving, about giving, about dealing with the junk in our life. But we do it through Christ. Right? We do it through Christ. 
our life must become founded daily on the work of Christ and the gospel. And if we do that, um, he says, and he makes this incredible promise, we will be indestructible. Right? As we do this, our life will become a well-built stone castle on a foundation that is immovable. And the floods will come, the, the torrents, the rivers will burst their banks and the rivers will come up against you and they will assail you, but it will roll off you as nothing. Right? Um, how does that work? Well, a couple of quick examples as we close. Let's take loving our enemies. Right? Loving those who hate us, who want to hurt us, who want to attack us. Um, if, if we love people, not unconditionally like Jesus talks about here, but we love conditionally, and we want people to affirm us, we love people because we want them to praise us, we want them to like us, right? We do good things to people hoping they will, um, at the very least, not hate us, right? What happens when we do all that and they still hate us or they attack us? Well, we feel resentful. We feel angry. We feel bitter. We feel hurt. We feel cheated. God, I've served you. I've tried to love these people. I've tried to do all the right things. And look what it got me. Nothing but trouble. Right? And the floods come and it wipes us out. But if my goal is just to love people regardless, and I don't expect anything back, when they attack me, so what, right? My early days as a pastor, you know, I was very insecure, very immature, not building my life on Christ. And I'm not saying I've come that far since then, but maybe a little. And one of the things that used to just devastate me was when people in the church would attack me, right? And it's easy to do. When you're up in front, you're, you're really visible. You're an easy target, and people attack you. It's just how kind of the nature of the job. And I, and I had a hard time dealing with that, right? Because I wanted them, I needed them to affirm me not attack me. And so I would love them, but when they would attack me, I would get very bitter and resentful and angry. And oh man, if they would leave the church, I'd get super depressed and I'd want to just quit. God, I'm a failure, right? Trying to build this church and people just keep leaving faster than they come. I'm a failure. And I would be caved in by those floodwaters, right? Well, you know, now, hopefully, as I'm learning to love people, I want to love them if they come or go, if they hate me or don't hate me, if they attack me, if they like it, if they don't like it. I just want to love them, right? Because my job is loving them, not getting back, right? Um, it works in marriage the same way. Or in any human relationship. If we love and we keep score, right? Not like Jesus says, but we're, we're loving, expecting to get back, Right? We'll love our wife because we expect her to treat us a certain way. We'll love our husband because we expect them to do certain things for us. We love our friends because we value what they do for us. Right? What happens when the floodwaters come against that relationship, when hard times come, when that person does not respond and does not meet my needs? Jesus says the house collapses. And we see all over Christian people, godly people, their lives their marriage is ending in divorce. Strong Christian relationships ending fractured and broken. Right? 
I'll tell you what, if your goal is just to love them no matter what, nothing can mess that up, right? No matter what, you just love them. You love them, you love them, you love them. You get nothing back, you just keep loving them. What can mess that up? Really? What can mess that up? Right? See, it works. It works. Um, and, and I really believe that, that it's true for a lot of us. You know, we, we have built our life on Christ. God is doing a transforming work in our life. And I hope you see that as those things work into your life, right, as, as you see God producing that kind of fruit in your life, it makes you indestructible. You don't have to worry disease or hardship or suffering or poverty or you know people hating you or attack. Right? You're you're immune to those things. That doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. It doesn't mean you're going to like it, right? Um, that means you're going to you know feel better. You know it may hurt, but it's not going to shipwreck you. Right? It's not going to bring your faith collapsing in ruin. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.